take your Bibles there and look at verse 11. Now it happened as he went through Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God. He fell down at his feet and gave thanks to him, for he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any who found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Just for a few moments this morning, I want to deal with the gratitude principle. The gratitude principle. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your goodness and your grace today. We pray that as we listen to the Word of God with our hearts, that your Word would go forth in power and in boldness. And Lord, I pray today that when the Word is spoken, that we would receive the incorruptible seed of the Word of God and that our lives would be forever changed. And everyone said a great big amen. Would you shout out the gratitude principle? All right, you may be seated. The gratitude principle. Once a year, we have a holiday called Thanksgiving, don't we? And uh, throughout America, uh, Thanksgiving is primarily an American tradition. And throughout America, many, many turkeys are slain at the altar of families. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful holiday to be around your friends and your family. It's wonderful to sit at the table and to enjoy fellowship with those who you love and to get to know them. Life is about relationships, cultivating and building and fostering relationships. Without relationships, life would be quite boring. And so Thanksgiving is that wonderful time of the year where we have an opportunity to express our thanks for a wonderful country that we live in. We are blessed to live in one of the greatest countries under heaven. Not only are we blessed with one of the greatest countries under heaven, but we have freedom of religion. There is no such thing as religious persecution here in America, not to the extent it is overseas. And so we are blessed with the freedom of religion. You can come to church anytime you want and stay as long as you want without the fear of persecution. You're not, uh, you have the opportunity to be with your family and friends. It's a wonderful time to express our gratitude for the country we live in, the church that we have, the family and the friends. But I think that the greater challenge is not to give thanks one day a year on a Thursday, but for us to be a thankful people, for us to live a life of generosity, for us to live a life of gratitude. Instead of thanksgiving, I'm convinced that it should be thankful living. Instead of thanksgiving, it should be thankful living. You see, you can give thanks without being thankful, but you cannot be thankful without giving thanks. Let me say that again. You can give thanks without being thankful, 
but you cannot be thankful without giving thanks. You know, the Bible is filled with verses uh, about thanksgiving. As a matter of fact, the Scripture is filled with so much of thanksgiving that it would be impossible for me to read them all to you. I can't. Because there's so many, especially in the book of Psalms, there are so many Scriptures that David is expressing his thanks to the Lord. The Bible even says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, that when you come to the Lord and offer your petition, make sure you do it with a spirit of thanksgiving. Instead of bringing your shopping list, make sure you bring your thanksgiving list. Make sure that when you present your petitions to the Lord, you do it with a thankful heart. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Bible also tells us in uh, 1 Chronicles 16.34, they'll put it behind me here, 1 Chronicles 16 and verse number 34. I want you to see this passage of Scripture where the people of God was expressing thanksgiving to the Lord. 1 Chronicles 16 and verse number 37. The, the whole company of the Jewish people lifted their voice up and said, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good and His mercy endures forever. How many is thankful to the Lord for all of His goodness and His mercy that God has done for you? I'm reminded of the stories of the Old Testament where they went into battle and several stories where God says, what I want you to do, I don't want you to take your weaponry. What I want you to do, I want you to lift up your voice and I want you to sing. And it's ironic that most of their singing had to do with thanksgiving. Oh, give thanks to the Lord because I'm convinced that your worship can do more than your negotiation. Your thanksgiving can do more than you negotiating at the table of the enemy. Do you know that the Bible says that one of the characteristics of the last days would be ungratefulness? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1. One of the characteristics of the last days would be a spirit of ungratefulness. And cer certainly that's happening right in front of us. Uh, Paul said here to Timothy, he said, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. He says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and unthankful. Boy, it's a shame that America has to have one day to remind us to be thankful. You ever thought about it? Why do we have to put it in the calendar to remind ourselves to be thankful? Because we are so driven in a consumer age where it's all about us. It's a spirit of entitlement. It's about us and what we want and what we can get and how far we can climb up on the, uh, the ladder of success. And one of the characteristics of the last days, there would be a spirit of people, uh, an apathy, a lukewarmness, where people are ungrateful and unthankful. And I pray at this church that we don't cultivate that spirit. I pray that in this church that we're not ungrateful and unthankful, but I, I pray that we would cultivate a grateful and generous spirit. There are many passages in the Bible that deal with thanksgiving that deal with this idea of giving thanks to the Lord. And I've chosen this Scripture this morning because there are some keys that I want to bring out in this Scripture. Now, let me just rehearse the Scripture to you. The Bible says in Luke 17 that Jesus is on His way to Samaria, right? 
He's on his way to Samaria, and the Bible says he passes through, excuse me, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he passes through Samaria, and he passes through Galilee. Now, that's very significant. Sometimes you've got to read the Bible and not just read the Bible. Jesus is going to Jerusalem, but he passes through Samaria and Galilee, which is really, Jerusalem is south, and Samaria is north. So it doesn't even make sense why Jesus is passing through that way. Uh, but this is significant because as he's going to Jerusalem, the Bible says he runs into ten men who are lepers. And if you know anything about leprosy, leprosy is a contagious disease that uh, uh, basically eats your flesh away. And it's very contagious. And so usually when people had leprosy, the very first thing that they would do is cry, unclean, unclean. They would stay away from society. They were segregated from society, and they couldn't participate in, in society. They were separated from society. And so here are these ten men who have a contagious disease. They're separated from society. They're crying unclean, unclean, and, unclean, and they see Jesus. And I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, if anyone's going to help us, it's going to be this man. I, I mean, I've heard of him. I heard how he healed a blind man. I heard how he raised the dead. I, I've heard of his ministry. And so here is these ten lepers hoping that Jesus, this rabbi, this master, would do something for them. And you know what's interesting is that Jesus never touched them. All Jesus said to them was, go to the priest, go your way to the priest, and show yourself to the priest. Now, why did they have to do that? Because anybody who was sick with leprosy, if you were healed of that disease, or you, were, you recovered from the disease, you had to go to the priest, a religious leader, and he had to verify that you was clean and pronounce a, a proclamation over you that you were clean so you can go back into society. So Jesus tells them he didn't touch them, he didn't touch them, he didn't pronounce anything over them, he, he didn't have a prayer line. He didn't anoint him with oil. All Jesus said is, go your way, show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says that as they went to the priest, they were healed. Do you see verse 14? And so when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were healed. That's, that's so ironic to me. You mean Jesus didn't lay hands upon him or upon them? Jesus never did anything miraculous. All Jesus said was go and show yourself to the priests. And the Bible tells us that as they went, they were healed. In other words, they obeyed the words of Jesus. And when they obeyed the words of Jesus, they walked in healing. With every step that they took, they were healed. With every step that they took on the journey, healing began to manifest in their body. Every step that they took, the situation got better. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes we look for the miraculous because we are Pentecostals and we, we are so programmed to look for the miraculous and sometimes we're superstitious and sometimes we're, you know, mystic almost. We, um, we, we need to see the miraculous but I think that the greater challenge is, is to walk your faith out, to take the steps that the Lord has 
wants for you to take. To be obedient to the Lord. To follow the Word of God and take step by step by step by step. Because when you take the step and you are obedient according to the Word and you take the steps, ladies and gentlemen, He will bring healing to you. Somebody say amen. You see, the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear in Psalm chapter number 1. Psalm chapter number 1. Psalm chapter 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he shall meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. Do you see the play on words here? The righteous man shall be a man that walks. The righteous man shall be a man that stands. And the righteous man will be a man that will not sit in the path of sinners, but delights himself in the law of the Lord. What I'm saying to you, yes, we believe in miracles. We desire God to do the supernatural. But I think that the greater challenge is, is to take your faith and be obedient according to the word and take one step at a time. And when you take the appropriate steps according to the will of God, according to the word of God, God's going to work in you and God's going to work through you his sanctifying power. Thank you for the one hand clap. I said, when you walk and you take the appropriate steps, then that is when God works in you and through you. Quit waiting for something to happen and let's be obedient according to the word that you already know to follow. Let's quit waiting for a breakthrough and let's have a stay through. Did you hear me? Number one, the keys to gratitude is this. Continual steps of obedience leads to total victory. It is when you walk those steps. It is when you take those steps that God, they may be small steps. I mean, knows that some of our steps is real small. That you need to continue to take those steps. You see, as he went, he was healed. As he took those steps, he was healed. Because continual steps of obedience leads to victory. Now, the question is, why did only one of them come back to give thanks? You know, I thought to myself, if I was one of them, I would surely come back to give thanks. But, now, just let's be true to the Bible. Maybe they thought to themselves, I would be disobedient to Jesus for me to go back to give thanks after he's already told me to go to the priest. Could be. Maybe they thought it would be disobedient for us to go back. But one of them did something ironic. One of them did something different. One of them, after he was walking, he noticed that his hands were getting better. He noticed that his face was getting better. He, he noticed that as he continued to walk, things were getting better. And the Bible says that he went back and gave thanks to the Master. Why just one? Because remember what I just said to you. Jesus was passing. He was going to Jerusalem between Samaria and Galilee. And the Scripture tells us, Luke 17, that the person who came back to give thanks was a Samaritan. So, 
most theologians, and I'm inferring on the text here, but most theologians think that the author, who is Luke, is implying that the other nine is from Galilee. Now, why is that significant? Well, where was Jesus raised at? Jesus was raised in Galilee. That was his hometown. If you were a Samaritan, you were the outcast. Nobody liked you. You know, you were the outcast. Galilee, Jesus was raised there. It could be, it could be. Let's, let me just throw this thought at you. That maybe the nine lepers was from Galilee and the nine lepers may have known about Jesus. Maybe they were raised with Jesus. Maybe they had Thanksgiving with Jesus. Maybe they had Christmas with Jesus. They knew about Jesus because back then, cities were very small and compact. So it could be that the nine knew Jesus. They were familiar with Jesus. Maybe number two, the point that I want to point out, is an attitude of entitlement diminishes gratitude. Maybe the nine thought to themselves, Jesus owes it to us. I mean, we were raised with Jesus. I mean, Jesus knows us. We're homeboys. I mean, Jesus grew up right down the street from me. He should heal me because we're homeboys. We know each other here. You see, if that is true, then a spirit of entitlement diminishes gratitude. Now, why did the Samaritan go back to give thanks? Because Samaria it was, was a group of people. They were fighting cousins with the Jews. They were outcasts. They were rejected by the Jewish people. Jesus don't have to do anything for a Samaritan. Jesus don't have to heal a Samaritan. Jesus don't have to bring a, a deliverance to a Samaritan. If Jesus is going to do anything, then Jesus obviously is going to do it for the people from Galilee because he knows them. Jesus surely wouldn't heal a Samaritan. Maybe the nine lepers thought to themselves, Jesus, me and Jesus go way back. Me and Jesus go way back. Surely Jesus should heal me because we know each other. It was a spirit of entitlement. But with the Samaritan, the Samaritan had a spirit of humility. The Samaritan knew that Jesus don't have to heal me. Jesus don't have to save me. Jesus don't have to do anything for me because I'm a Samaritan and I am unworthy of anything. And so the person who felt unworthy was the, most, the, was the person who expressed the most gratitude. The reason the Samaritan came back was because he's thinking to himself, I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. I don't deserve it. But He healed me anyway. If Jesus is going to heal anyone, He's going to heal His nine homeboys from Galilee. But Jesus don't have to do anything for me. I'm just a Samaritan. But this story teaches us that Jesus is sent to those who feel outcast. That Jesus is sent to those who feel down on their luck. Jesus is sent to those who downhearted and disheartened. Jesus is sent to those types of people. And sometimes it is those people that have the most grateful attitude. Some of us, 
you got a good job, got a good home, got a good car, your mom and daddy fed you with a golden spoon, and you know, and that's good, that's great if you had that type of life. But there are some folks in here that you were down on your luck and you remember how God picked you up and saved you and delivered you and provided for you at midnight and you can't help but to raise your hands and give God glory and give God thanks and give God honor for everything that God has done for you. You can't help but to give Him thanks. And I want to I know something. Are you thankful for the grace of God? Are you thankful that you know you're a Samaritan? You know that you're unworthy. You know that your degrees didn't get you where you are. That your work ethic didn't get you where you are. Your ability didn't get you where you are. Your good looks didn't get you where you are. The only reason that you are blessed is because of the grace and the favor of Almighty God. That's why you're blessed. That's why you have the ability to get up and go to work. And that's why you have the ability to, to provide for your family is because He has given you the ability. So maybe the Samaritan is thinking, maybe the Samaritan is thinking, I don't deserve anything from the Master. Yet, He goes out of His way and He heals me and delivers me. Surely He would do it for the Galileans. He would do it for His homeboys. But me, He don't have to do it for. See, this story teaches us that continual steps of obedience leads to victory. This story teaches us that a spirit of entitlement diminishes gratitude. And this story also teaches us that your thanksgiving should be as loud as your request. Now, I want you to notice the play on words here. Your thanksgiving should be as loud as your request. Look at it. Luke 17 and verse 13. Look at the play of words here. Verse number 13. And they lifted up their voice. Somebody shout that out. Lifted up their voice. Everybody please say it with me. And they lifted. Very good. And said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So, they're presenting their request. And when Jesus saw them, He said to them, go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that while they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when He saw He was healed, returned with a... Returned with a what? Returned with a what? So when they presented their petition, they lifted their voice. But when they came back to give thanks, they did it with a... Y'all get that? When they came to the Lord, they lifted their voice to give their petition to Christ. But when, they, when the man was healed, he came back and had a loud voice. You see, your thanksgiving should be as loud as your request. We'll moan and groan at this altar for God to work in our life. But when God does it, our thanksgiving doesn't equal the amount of time we ask God for it. Can I just hear an amen? 
Sometimes when God comes through and God delivers us and God gives us what we have asked for, sometimes we just throw our hands up and say, thank you, God, as if God owes us something. Let me make sure you understand something. God don't owe you anything. He doesn't have to do anything for you. He is a sovereign God. doesn't have to do anything. He already sent His Son and died on the cross and paid the payment for the sin of the world, and that is enough. He doesn't have to do anything else for you. He don't have to heal your body. He doesn't have to provide. He doesn't have to do anything. The reason He does it is because it's His very nature to do it. Somebody say amen. So when God answers your request, I pray that your thanksgiving will be as loud as your request. I like a thanksgiving church. I like a church that knows how to praise God and worships God and the atmosphere is filled with worship and the atmosphere is filled with thanksgiving because that is what magnifies God. The intensity of your thanksgiving should suppress, surpass the sincerity of your prayers. You see, the, the Samaritan thought to himself, I don't know where the other nine are, but I know what he's done for me. I, I can't vouch for the other nine, but I know exactly what he's done for me. So that Samaritan came back and gave him thanks. Now, one commentary said it like this, and I tell you what the commentary said. They said, now, and I quote, paraphrase, the commentary said, as I was studying, let's not look, let's not degrade the nine lepers. Let's give them a little grace. Because, the commentary said, because maybe these lepers, when they got to the priest, and the priest usually was at the temple, maybe they was going to give their praise and thanksgiving at the temple. And I thought to myself, well, that's, that's, I could agree with that. I don't disagree that maybe these nine were waiting. Well, I'll just thank God at the temple. But the significance of this story is this. And another commentary said it like this. No, no, he disagrees with the other commentary, so I think I agree with this other guy. The other guy said the whole significance of the story is that one of them understood that Jesus is more than just a carpenter from Galilee, that Jesus is the Son of God. He had to go back and give him thanks and give him glory. That, that's the purpose of miracles, was to validate who Jesus was. So, and I thought to myself, I'm about to shout up in here. Is this all right, guys? I'm going, I'm going to give you the fourth point. Wherever he displays his power, that's where I will display my praise. If you think that your praise should be located at the temple, and if you think your praise should be located at the church, then you have a narrow-mindedness about worship and praise. You can praise Him at the church. 
You can praise Him at the temple, but I'm telling you when God does something for you, that praise comes out wherever you're at. It comes out at the grocery store. It comes out at the school. It comes out at your house. It comes out in your car. You can't help but to praise God and to worship God wherever you're at. Don't wait till you get to the temple. Don't wait till you get to the temple to praise God. Live a life of worship and live a life of thanksgiving. You need to bless God who blesses you. So wherever displays His power, that's where I'll display my praise. That Samaritan understood that my praise isn't regulated to a building. My praise is regulated to a person. So he ran back and Gave thanks to the Lord. You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus says to the man, the man comes and he falls down at his feet, which shows us the man was healed because before Jesus didn't touch him. So now the man's touching Jesus. The man is at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says to the man, where are the other nine? They going to come back and give glory to God? Obviously, the man didn't answer. The man's probably thinking to himself, listen, Jesus, I'm not my brother's keeper. <laughs> I'm not responsible for everybody else. I'm just coming back to give you thanks and praise. The Bible says to, Je the, Bible says to the man, or excuse me, Jesus says to the man, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Now, I thought to myself, I thought, I thought it was his steps. And then he was healed. Was it his faith in the words of Jesus? Yes. But I think that the greater challenge in this story is this. That faith is exemplified in returning to the Lord after your prayer is answered. Did you all just hear what the preacher just said? Because now let get the story. The man got healed. All ten of them got healed. All right, is that right? One of them came back or returned to the Lord and gave him thanks. So I am saying that true faith is exemplified when you return to the Lord after your prayer is answered. How many of us will run to God when something's wrong in our life? Can't pay your bills. This is going wrong. Your kids are crazy. And you'll come to church. As a matter of fact, you'll come Sunday morning. You'll come Sunday night. You'll come Wednesday. You'll get on the prayer chain because you really need to get a hold of God. But true faith is when God answers it, and you have need of nothing, you still return to the house of God. You still return to Bible reading. You still return to prayer. You still return to spiritual disciplines. You still return after He answers. Hallelujah! Can I hear an amen? True faith is when you return to Christ after He has answered. Any old boy can show up to church when they need something. Oh, come on, that don't take a lot of smarts. Excuse my language. 
for you to show up when you're in a hard time. Faith is when you continue to return. When you are steadfast, unmovable, giving thanks to God. What does, what does this story teach us? It teaches us that continual steps of obedience leads us to total victory teaches us that an attitude of entitlement diminishes gratitude. teaches us that your thanksgiving should be as loud as your petition. It teaches us that whenever He displays His power, that's where I'll display my praise. And it teaches us that faith is really simplified in our returning to the Lord after our prayer is answered. My prayer today is we would give God the glory. That you may be a Galilee. Maybe you think you're entitled to it. But I know I'm a Samaritan. I know that I don't deserve it. I know that anything that I have in my life is not because I have worked for it. It's not because of my degrees or my ability. The only reason I'm at and you're at where you're at is because of the grace and the favor of Almighty God. And in closing, in closing, as we look at the story of Jonah, I just want to read one verse or a couple verses here. Jeremy, if you could put Jonah chapter 2 and verse number 1. In closing, I want to look at this. Jonah chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And Jonah began to pray to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. The Bible says he cried out to the Lord because of his affliction. Out of the belly of Shiloh I cried, and he heard my voice. So Jonah is in the belly of this great fish. And what's interesting about this is when Jonah was in this belly of this great fish, he's crying to the Lord, and then he says something. Verse number 9. Verse number 9, as he's in the belly of the fish. Verse number 9, Jonah is in the belly and he begins to cry and he says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of... with the voice of... With a voice of, and I will pay what I have vowed, salvation is of the Lord. Jonah is in the deepest, darkest place of his life. He's in the belly of a fish. And he says, I'm going to offer some thanksgiving to the Lord. And isn't it ironic in verse number 10? And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah on the dry ground. Now let me just throw a little bit of, typology in here. When you come to God, instead of your shopping list, and you come with your thanksgiving list, 
and you begin to worship Him and thank Him for everything He has done, it's possible that whatever belly of affliction that you are in, God's going to deliver you from that affliction and you're going to be saved from it because you come to Him not with your shopping list, not with groaning and grumbling and complaining, but you come to Him with a thanksgiving heart. I'm telling you, why don't we be thankful today? Instead of looking for the negative in everything you see, the reason you see everything negative is because you are negative. It's a heart issue. You see the world through your lens. It's how you see your world. I want you to see you have something to be thankful for. 